Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. We are back after what seems like forever. The 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast is back on the air. It actually hasn't been that long. It's been about two and a half weeks, but when you're putting out weekly shows like we've been doing, it it feels like that's been a pretty long gap. But we're back. We're ready to go. Unfortunately, Zane is not here this episode. He's not feeling well. So he we will he will be back next episode, whether that's next week or the week after, whenever it is, Zane will be here. But in his place, we're Really excited to have Kevin Jones as my co-host. You may know Kevin from his time at KNBR, and he's the host of the Kevin Jones podcast. And he also covered the Cleveland Browns for a while. So he's been around Kyle Shanahan at a few different stops, and he's, he's a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the 49ers. So I'm pumped to have him co-hosting the show with me. And we're going to get into, obviously, the big news, and that's the Jimmy Garoppolo contract. And listen, this is huge for the 49ers. It's huge for the 49ers fans. They have their franchise quarterback under contract now and now they can build around him for the next five years a, it was a big day for the 49ers to get him signed and listen the fans are excited and they have every right to be this is as excited as i've seen this fan base in a really long time so kevin and i'll get into that and we're also going to talk about some of the bigger name free agents that are out there and if they're fits for the 49ers guys like Le'Veon bell jimmy graham if akib talib gets gets released is he somebody the 49ers should go after what about malcolm butler uh, what about Ezekiel Ansah? Who's a fit for the 49ers? And Kevin and I are going to break that down. We also have a great guest today, and it's Clark Judge, who's been covering the 49ers. He was used to be a beat writer for the 49ers. He's been covering the NFL for over 30 years, and Clark is so passionate about the Hall of Fame. And what does he think about Terrell Owens finally getting into the Hall of Fame? What about Patrick Willis and Frank Gore? When their time comes up, are they Hall of Famers? And guys like Roger Craig and, and Bryant Young, have they been snubbed? Let's see what Clark thinks. Our guest has covered the NFL for over 30 years on national outlets such as Fox and CBS, and on the beat as well, most notably for us covering the 49ers. You can find him now on the Talk of Fame Network. He is the one, the only, Clark Judge. Clark, thank you so much for the time. My pleasure, Al. Good to talk to you. Good to have you, and I know that you're one of the decision makers when it comes um, to the Hall of Fame vote, and I wanted to start off with that because... The process is so interesting to me, and for those who may not know, the process is basically you have 48 voters in a, in a room debating the merits of the players that are up for, for election. And I know you can't give specifics on exactly what you talk about, but can you take us through the preparation and, and what that day of the vote is like for you as a voter? Sure. Um, because I walk, work for the Talk of Fame Network, we devote a large amount of our time and energy to studying Hall of Fame players uh, or Hall of Fame situations. Seniors, uh, those are guys who've had uh, 21 years of eligibility or more, or modern-era players, that's 20 years of eligibility or less. And you're not eligible until six years after you retire. That's really sort of five years after you go, but then it's a six-year you're eligible. Um, and so we, do, we study this year-round. A lot of those guys in the room, have um, they're covering teams, so they may be covering the NFL, so they can't get to it until maybe – um, you know, after they're finished doing that during a day or maybe a couple weeks before. But um, to me, it's it's the most um, rewarding thing maybe that I've done in my career, especially at this time in my career, because you see the impact it has on the people involved. And um, you study what that player or coach has done during his career versus his contemporaries versus 
um, figures at that position uh, or at that coaching spot um, where he ranks in history. Um, also, the eyeball test. I mean, I, I've seen a lot of guys, uh, as sure. a lot of people in that room, and so they've got to pass the eyeball test, too. And, and you put everything in perspective, and then what you do is you talk to people they played against, people they played with, um, and people you whose opinion you, you value and, and trust. And all of that goes into sort of a think tank, and you come out with what you believe uh, that person is, um, what's, what his worth is on a scale of maybe 1 to 10 in my mind, and then go in the room and then listen to what the arguments are when you go in that room. Now, when you go in that room, there's one person who presents that individual. I presented Bobby Beathard this year, for instance. Matt Mayoko presented uh, Terrell Owens. And, um, and after that person's finished with this presentation, it's thrown open to discussion as to uh, the merits or demerits of this case. And it can get volatile or it may not. Um, and it may be pretty easy, to be honest with you. I mean, the Ray Lewis situation this year was pretty easy. Um, there were a couple others. I think Fanica, Hutchinson, short conversations. Um, so, uh, or it can be long. And the last two individuals to be discussed with wide receivers, uh, Randy Moss and Terrell Owens. Now, Isaac Bruce is one of them too, but um, not nearly as much time as the last two. Owens was the longest discussion. Moss was the next longest. Um, and those were pretty, those were pretty volatile, but not as volatile as I thought. But in any case, that's what happens. And then we go to the vote, it goes from 15 to 10. Vote on the 10 most likely, that it's a 10 you want to go in. So you vote the 10, then it goes from 10 to 5, and then you vote on those five, and you have to have 80% of the vote. Um, and the last time all five didn't make it, I think was 2006, when Paul Tagliabue was one of the five, and he didn't make the cut because he didn't get 80% of the vote, as we know he's still out there. So that's it. Uh, that's pretty much it. I, I consider it a extremely important job, as I said, because you can see the impact even Eddie, Eddie DeBartolo went in. You could see the impact it had on him. Um, oh, sure. Guys who, and, and Jerry Kramer who waited 45 years. Why? I have no idea. I have no <laughs> idea. But we finally got him in after 45 years in his 11th time in front of that board and the second time as a senior. And I thought there should have been four slam dunk candidates this year based on what they did on the field. And I thought those four players were Ray Lewis, Brian Urlacher, Randy Moss, and, and Terrell Owens. And as most 49ers fans know, Owens had to wait a couple of years before his name was called. And I, I know you had some reservations about him. And what, what about his resume gave you pause? And, and what do you think ultimately changed this time around to get him elected? Um, well, a couple of things. One is Matt Mioka presented him for the second straight year, did a great job. I, I thought his preparation in advance of his uh, discussion was outstanding. He talked to... I'm going to guess 30 or 40 individuals and printed that out. And so everyone saw it well in advance. Um, why he was kept out for two years. Um, you, you're talking to the right guy because yeah, I, I didn't have some reservations. I had a lot of reservations um, on the field production. You can't argue with that, but if that's all we're talking about, if that's all we're talking about, then it's a fantasy football hall of fame. And so you don't need me in that room. You don't need you. You don't need anyone else. Just get Deloitte and Touche and, and have them pick, the top guys at every position in terms of productivity. And I'll tell you what, I can't wait until Wes Welker is eligible because he'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Five of his six seasons, the span of six seasons, he had five years where he had 112 or more catches. Led the league three times. Well, you know, uh, it's pretty hard to argue with that, so let's put him in too. There are other factors, and, and the factors are whether that individual player, coach, GM, contributed positively or negatively to the team. You can certainly make the case on both sides with Owens. And um, in the past couple, well, last 
couple of years, um, a lot of people have made the case against him. And um, you've got Hall of Fame general managers, Bill Polian and Ron Wolf, um, who spoke out against him. Uh, Dwight Clark, who drafted him, said, I wouldn't put him in. Um, and, and, and then you have Bill Parcells, Hall of Fame coach, um, who didn't show up at his press conference. I was in Dallas when the Cowboys announced him. He didn't show up because he didn't want him. And then he didn't talk. He never referred to him by his name when he was there. Um, and, and then someone said, well, in this, as I said, it was a very strong presentation. Parcells quotes were there and they said, well, he's, he now pushes for the Hall of Fame. And I said, well, actually he doesn't. He said he deserves strong consideration. I said, that's what he's getting. He's getting strong consideration. So there's another side, but we live in such a polarized society that, you know, if you point that out, you're a bad guy. If you, I mean, people have, they have one player agendas. And if you're in Terrell Owens camp, you point that out, you're a nasty bad guy and you should be replaced. And you simply point out the other side to it. And there is another side. I mean, a couple guys brought up that he was poisoned. I mean, in, in Philadelphia, they said, you know, look what he did in 2004, that, that Super Bowl. He, he probably would have been the MVP had they won. There's no question about it. He got him to the Super Bowl. I, I would argue he didn't necessarily. Two years before, they were 12 and 4, 12 and 4, and they went to the conference championship games those years. They went to the conference championship games all three years. Now, that year he was there, they were 13 and 3, but as we know, he got hurt late in the season, didn't play in the playoffs, and they got to the conference championship game a fourth straight year. And they won, and they won because of Brian Westbrook. Brian Westbrook was the MVP of those playoffs until he got to the Super Bowl. Then you go to the Super Bowl, and he comes back and miraculously plays. You go, holy smokes, this is great. People really traded on that. And I'd say, what about Johnny Robinson? You know, safety for the Kansas City Chiefs. And probably most of your listeners don't know who he was, but he's a great safety for the Kansas City Chiefs. He was hurt during the playoffs, and um, and he's not in the Hall of Fame. And you look at his resume, you go, whoa. Um, Jack Youngblood played with a broken leg, I think, in the 79 playoffs. And it took him 12 times to get in the Hall of Fame. And he has like, I don't know, 140, 150 sacks, whatever. And then he played with a broken leg in the Pro Bowl the week after. I mean, just <laughs> so you want to talk about courage. I mean, Thomas Davis played with a broken arm, I think it was, sure. two years ago. We want to put him in there. I mean, there, there are stories of courage. It certainly was a courageous time. But my point is, if he was that valuable, why did the Eagles get rid of him less than a year later? And they did. They suspended him and got rid of him. And Andy Reid, I will tell you this, I mean, I, I know what Andy Reid says now, but I remember talking to him after that, and, and I was pretty close to him at that time. And I said, you know what he's going to do? He's going to go to Dallas. Um, and he said, I don't care. Um, I just made my team better. And, and he did. I mean, the Eagles in the next three years, with three and two in the playoffs, went to a conference championship game. Cowboys didn't win a playoff game. So that's the other side. I'm not here to badmouth them. Honestly, I, I just, I'm sort of, I'm really wrung out by the conversation. I mean, <laughs> the, the, upside, the upside to this is that we don't have to talk about him anymore. But I will tell you this. He complained and his followers complained about, you know, he didn't get in the first two years. He didn't get in, you know, why? Because there were people like me who were spiteful and hateful. And, and so he gets in this year. He's not there at the uh, honor ceremony on Saturday night introducing the Hall of Famers, and he wasn't on the field on Sunday introducing the Hall of Famers. Uh, he was the only guy that missed both, and um, I think that's too bad. I mean, he's, he's got a chance now to celebrate this, and, and I thought he missed a great opportunity. But um, in any case, I, I, I spent a lot of time there with him, but you know, with Randy Moss, there was some conversation about I, I, I play when I want to play, and I thought that might keep him out as a first ballot choice. It didn't. Productivity ruled the day and, and that's what they decided and people i honestly people who had been against him in the past flipped uh, on the other side and i think a lot of it had to do with matt matt's presentation 
was so complete and he did such a great job and he deserves all, all the credit in the world that he got somebody in that I thought honestly was going to take several years to get in. Wow. Yeah. Matt deserves a Christmas card or something from him. That's, he that's does. pretty impressive. I told, I told the same thing. I said, you should get something from him. <laughs> but, um, I, I really, I, I, I want to move on from this because I, I don't want to be, um, dogged the rest of my life as a hateful, spiteful first person, yeah. because I tried to point out the other side. There are other people in that room who point out there's another side and there is another side. And as I said, numbers of people have spoken about it on the record. I don't know any other individual that I know of when we've been in that room where they've had people publicly attach their names to critical comments about him. But Owens is, is the first guy. Wow. That says a lot. It says a lot. Well, one person that I know a lot of people think very high of is John Lynch. And he sure. didn't make the cut down to 10. And it could be even more difficult for him next year because you, you got to think Ed Reed is a, is a lock. Mm-hmm. Do you see Lynch getting in sooner or could it take him a while? That's a good question, and I think it's going to take him a while. It, it's not only that he didn't get in, he moved backwards. Uh, he was a top 10 finalist the previous two years. He went back this year, and he didn't make the cut to 10. That's a bad sign. It shows you his candidacy's losing momentum. Another bad sign, as you mentioned, Ed Reed coming up next year. I assume that he's getting in next year, um, and that's a whole different problem. Um, you know, we're talking about first ballot guys. We Afterwards, several of us talked about, why, why are we in such a rush to get these guys in? There are people been waiting in line for years um and and they're waiting and we're, we're putting in guys first ballot first ballot first ballot why why i mean unless you're joe montana or jerry rice why can't you make a for instance a brian urlacher wait a year or two so we can clear for instance the offensive line to go in uh, we have five of them this year one third of the class none of them got in so that's that's a log jam and they're worthy but i guess my question is there's a lot of outrage and disbelief when someone like and i hope this last time i say this when someone like terrell owens doesn't get <laughs> outrage and disbelief where's the outrage and disbelief for alan fanica how about or tony Baselli? yeah yeah these well they're deserving fanica is a nine-time pro bowler eight-time all pro super bowl champion two-time offensive lineman of the year he couldn't do anything more first team all decade terrell owens wasn't first team all decade he was second team um so where's the outrage kevin white First team all decade. I think he was eight time pro, eight, eight time a pro bowler, seven time or eight time all pro. Where's the outrage for Kevin Y? We've put yeah. in one center in the past 20 years, Demonte Dawson, and that was six years ago. Why is there no outrage for these guys? Because there are no numbers to attach. And that's why I say I, I think we're dangerously close to becoming a fantasy football Hall of Fame. And, and that bothers me because. Oh, that's a great point. Alan Fanica should be outraged. I mean, one of the things that sold Brian Dawkins was his productivity, forced fumbles, sacks, interceptions. And someone pointed out he had 17 more forced fumbles than Ray Lewis. That got a lot of people's attention. Hmm. But, you know, okay, then why aren't we putting Ty Law in? He had 53 interceptions, um, six more in the playoffs. I think he's third all time, pure corners on that. He had eight returns for touchdowns. How about Everson Walls? Productivity matters. He's the only cornerback to lead the league in interceptions three times. Um, and people say, well, you know, about the catch, and I know about that, because that's what I always associate Everson Walls with. He's in that picture with Dwight Clark, you know, in the catch. <laughs> in that game, he had two interceptions and, and a forced fumble, too. He was, a, he was a terrific corner, but we didn't even get him in the room until this, his 20th year. He's gone. Goes into the senior pool. So, um, but that's, that, that's the conundrum. And when you come to Lynch, as I said, John Lynch, 
I think, lost out this year because of that productivity. They're talking about Dawkins being an all-round guy. And maybe people are beginning to look at John Lynch as a system player. And, and I will say that the, the guy who presented him, Ira Coffin, for Tampa did a great job of trying to diffuse that. And he's not an all-decade choice, but he also tried to diffuse that. Listen, if you come in the middle of one decade and you go out the middle of the end of the nether, you, you probably might not be all decade. If you're there the entire decade, you have, you have a chance. But um, John Lynch was in that Tampa 2, and as I report, I call it the Tampa 3. Stapp, Brooks, and, and Lynch. And <laughs> people are very much supportive of him, but I don't know if they're so supportive that they're going to push him forward again because they said we've got Reed coming up. Who's coming up the next year? Troy Palomalu. Now, right. would I rather have John Lynch? Absolutely, I would. But you might find as that group gets younger, and I'm talking about the voters, that he may start sliding backwards, and that's a dangerous thing because what happens is then you're not a finalist, and then voters forget about you. Kind of like you end up like Roger Craig, who just kind of yeah, exactly. very, very deserving. He he redefined his position during his era, and you find him now. You know, it, it just sort of never happened for him. Yeah, that was a real disappointment for me this year because this was his last year as a modern era candidate. He's only been a finalist once. That was 2010. I really wanted him back in the room. Got one chance because when you go into the senior pool, it's so rife with all decade players. Guys who, are, I mean, Johnny Robinson, I mentioned, um, you know, for all the outrage about some of the wide receivers, Drew Pearson, first team all decade, 1970s. He's not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and he's never been discussed. Worse, wow. he's never been a semifinalist. The other thing about Drew Pearson is the only first team wide receiver in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s who's not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And he said, what did I do wrong? You know what he did wrong? He got old. That's what he did wrong. He's been forgotten. But we have people like that. And, and you just go through Mike Curtis, um, you know, Al Wister. It, it just go down the list. Max Speedy, got it. You just, you just keep going down the list. Cliff Harris, first team all-decade safety, 70s, not in. Steve Atwater, all-decade safety, 90s, not in. I mean, and Leroy Butler, certainly 49ers should know about him, 49 fans, he's mm-hmm. not in. Um, he finally made it as a semifinalist this year for the first time. So, um, yeah, Roger Craig, I mean, pro bowler at fullback, pro bowler at halfback. Thousand yards in the same season, catching, running. Uh, I thought he was invaluable to that team. And yet you look at that team in the 80s, and what are we talking about? Montana, Lott, and Rice, mm-hmm. you know, as Hall of Famers. Well, they dominated the decade. You can tell me there were three guys, that's it? Yeah, it's that's amazing, isn't else, it? Right? Yeah, and, and I realized there were a lot of terrific players, a lot of, but uh, Roger Craig excelled. And I'm really, really disappointed to see that he's now gone into this huge pool where his candidacy may be lost forever. And there's two modern era 49ers that, that I think are deserving. And I'm, I'm really interested to hear your opinion on this. And they're Frank mm-hmm. Gore and Patrick, Patrick Willis. Now Gore obviously has put up the numbers over a period of time, but he never won a rushing title. You know, I don't know right. if you ever thought of him as one of the one or two best backs in the league. And, and Patrick Willis had a shorter career. I feel they're both hall of famers. Do you, do you think that they're going to get in? first ballot eventually what are your thoughts on those two guys well be careful about you know as i said that first ballot um as somebody pointed out to me you know what they call you when you finish last in your class at medical school when you go into columbia med school and you finish last in your class you know what they call you call you doctor so it doesn't (laughs) make any difference whether your first ballot 10th ballot 15th ballot you're a hall of famer so everyone's hung up on this first ballot but um 
of the two, um, it's funny. I never, never thought of Frank Gore as a Hall of Fame player. I never did. Um, and, you know, he, he wasn't an all-decade choice. Uh, he never won a rushing title. But he just keeps piling up the numbers. And he's becoming more attractive, I think, to voters than Jerome Bettis. Now, Bettis had to wait. I think Gore's going to have to wait, too. But I, I, I don't see how you keep him out. He just keeps playing and playing yeah. and playing. Um, but was he, in your mind, one of the two or three best backs of his era? And I'd say the answer is no. Um, right. And and so you look at, he just hung around for a long time. That says something. I think longevity says something, too. I, I truly believe in that. Um, with Willis, that's a different story because he excelled over a short period of time. But we seem to have waived longevity um, with the Terrell Davis and Kenny Easley situations a year ago. Willis is an interesting choice now. People talk about all the tackles he racked up. What about Randy Gratishar? You know, with Denver, he, he's the all-time leading tackler, period. I think in NFL history, he's not in the, he's not in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Tommy Nobis, who just died, not in the Hall of Fame. I mean, we've got people who've waited, and yet it's, we live in an era where we live in the moment. Latest is greatest. So let's just put them all in, put them all in. And you go, wait a minute. Um, you know, Tony Gonzalez, I'm going to say, People next year will say, first bout Hall of Famer. Well, why? And someone said he revolutionized the position. No, he didn't. John Mackey revolutionized the position. <laughs> Kellen Winslow revolutionized the position. Mackey got in on his 15th year of eligibility. Ditka on his 12th. Winslow on his third. Winslow is more a wide receiver than a tight end. Same thing with Gonzalez. Now, do I think he's going in as a first ballot guy? Probably. But when he doesn't, or if he doesn't, there's going to be angst and an uproar, and you go, I mean, he's going to get in. I saw this in 2013 when Strand didn't get in. They go, he's getting in. I mean, if you don't get in the first try, you've got 19 more. I mean, come on. Um, but people just go, oh, what's wrong? What's wrong is we've got five chairs, five chairs. And you want to put Gonzalez in, and Bailey in next year, and Edry. Explain that to Alan Fanica. Mm. Explain that to Kevin Y. Explain it to Tony Baselli. They sit there and wait and wonder, what's going on here? You don't play a marquee position. That's an important position, but these voters don't seem to care about you. That bugs me. It really does. Playing to John Lynch, his chance is going backwards. Yeah. He won multiple, he was a multiple pro bowler, two different franchises as a safety. Tampa and Denver. Um, explain that to him. And, and you can't. And that's why... <clears throat> I believe in, in trying to respect the queue. If a guy is a Hall of Famer, let's face it, Champagne is a Hall of Famer. Joey Gonzalez is a Hall of Famer. Ed Reed's a Hall of Famer. But so are other candidates like Banica, Mawai, Baselli. They've been in line. Why can't you respect the queue and say, listen, we need to get these guys in. If we can wait a year or two on these others, who cares? I mean, who cares? Why are we in such a rush? And yet we are. I mean, this year we put in five guys with eight years eligibility they left 92 years of eligibility on the table 92 years and they're gone so we rushed in these it's the youngest class i can ever remember but explain that to the other guys um steve outwater who can't get a sniff and and he was a finalist two years ago or three years ago i guess it was didn't make the finals last year didn't make the finals this year explain that to him and you can't uh, you, you can't um but again he's gotten older and He's not in the moment, you know? He's, he's not a, a star of Snapchat or Twitter or social media, or as one of the voters calls it, anti-social media. It's, <laughs> it's really, it's really um, 
of process that I think needs to be reexamined. Um, I don't know how you would do it, but I feel so bad for these guys that have waited so long. And as somebody pointed out to me today, if you were to sit on that senior committee, and I don't, I sit on the contributor committee, if you were to sit on that senior com- committee and see the number of qualified guys who are waiting for that call, and you can only take two, maximum two one year, and then one the next, it'd break your heart. It'd really break your heart. But if you up the number even by one or two, wouldn't, wouldn't that kind of knock the log jam out? Because I think of somebody like Willis, and I, I think he was one of the best, you know, probably the best inside linebacker when he played. If not, he was top two. You know, if if putting one or two more guys in are going to get the Fanicas in, are, are going to get the guys that you mentioned in, why do you think the committee wouldn't want to add a couple more guys? Well, you say one of the top two. I mean, you know, Earl Acker and, and Lewis played during some of that time, too. So um, I, I'd be careful, but I know how you feel. I mean, uh, but... Um, Willis is an interesting situation. I, do I think you get in? I think he could. I mean, I'd like to hear the, the argument. I don't think he's a slam dunk. Um, but it's because everyone's got their guy, and they want to put him in. I understand that. But, again, tell me then, was he better for the 49ers than Randy Gratishar was for the, for the Broncos? And you'd say yes. Talk to some Denver fans and ask them. Mm-hmm. How about Carl Mecklenburg, you know? Wait, um, well, he's another linebacker can't get in. Um, ask Falcons fans about Tommy Novus. People don't care now because he's gone. He played a long time ago. We don't have ESPN footage of him that's running 24 hours right. a day. It's like um, out of sight, so, out of mind, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, and so um, it's, an, it's, an, it's an interesting discussion. Um, and it's, it's tough to try to convince people because what they'll say is, and, and I'm sure, honestly, what your listeners are going to say after they hear this is, A, this guy's voice is deteriorating because he's yeah. sick, which I, I am. Know. <laughs> and, and then, and then, secondly, he's old. He's an old guy. He's an old fogey. You know, let's move him on. But that's the one advantage of being around a long time. You at least have a perspective. Listen, I was a kid. I saw United play. I've never seen a better quarterback. I've never seen a better quarterback. No, I love Tom Brady, and Tom Brady to me is the greatest Super Bowl era quarterback, bar none. And I saw Montana. Montana is great. And I, I, it's tough to put them against each other. I love watching Joe Montana. I live in New England now. I watch Tom Brady every Sunday. It's astonishing to watch what he can do. Completely different game. I understand that. United's played in a completely different game, too. But I would ask anyone to watch some of the footage of some of his play and the way he handles the ball, the way he gets it downfield, and tell me, this guy was an extraordinary, an extraordinary player. Different era. All those numbers are different. That's why some of these numbers you see today in a pass happy league they're skewed um because you get inflated numbers so you look at a drew pearson and say well you only had 58 catches this year they were they were running the ball they were playing defense and the losing team in the super bowl wasn't putting up 613 yards you you played in the era with the steelers one year one year in the last nine games 1976 the steelers gave up 28 points total total they didn't win a Super Bowl. They didn't. They could play, play defense. Completely different era. And, and yet, people don't want to hear about it. But as I said, there are enough guys in that room who remember that. And, and they've got a perspective that it, it gives you some hope. But um, I, did, I will say this time for the first time, I was thrown because I realized I, I can't read the room. Um, we've gone with youth. We've gone with productivity. But even when we've gone with productivity, they didn't want to hear about the cornerbacks. And um, it just, I, I just can't quite figure out where are we going next because is it always now going to be the latest is the greatest? Um, you know, I, I, I look at the Garoppolo contract. I mean, look at what he got. He started seven games. 
<laughs> Tom Brady has started one more Super Bowl in his career than Jimmy Garoppolo. I understand what the 49ers are doing. It's speculative. That's what they're doing. They're, they're basing it on the future. But, I mean, look at the contract compared to Brady. And you go, huh? What? I know. He's 41. Well, okay. But um, that's just the age we're living in. And it, it's it's kind of tough to accept. I, I understand it, but it's sort of tough to accept. But, but if I have a vote, I'm going to fight for what I believe in. And, and I'm not going to have a gun put to my head by anyone. I'm going to fight for my convictions. And uh, I look at some of these guys who've been around. Tony Bazzelli, Fanica, those guys, I've got a conviction about him. Ty Law, I've got a conviction about him. I saw him play. Um, I think, honestly, there's some guys in that room who haven't seen him play. But, um, you know, that's, that's the problem. Same thing with Roger Craig. I think there probably some people go, oh, yeah, um, didn't he, he play with a 49? Yeah, but you had to see him play, and that's what I'm talking about, the eye test. God, I mean, it's, Bryant Young's another guy. I thought you can bring up Bryant Young. I covered mm. him. I mean, he was, God, was he good. On the incredibly, field, off the field. Incredibly underrated. Yep, incredibly underrated. Incredibly underrated. And that's what I was saying. There are other factors here involved because people say, well, look at the tackles. Look at the all-pro teams. No, he doesn't measure up here. And that this guy was the consummate leader on the field, off the field. Look at the Len Eshmon Awards. No one's even close to him. And if you cover the 49ers, you know what that means. You know what that means to that player and that team. And this guy had a career-ending injury. but didn't end his career. He came back and was a great player, great leader on really good teams and one great one, 94 championship team won a Super Bowl. But, um, but I think he's going to have a real tough time just getting in the room. But as I said, the, the problem is everyone's got their guy. We can't have our guy. We have 15 guys in that room and you just sort of measure the, the positives and negatives and hopefully come out with a uh, assessment one through 15 and then vote your conscience. And, and that's what I try to do. This is great. And you can tell how passionate you are about this. And this is, this is a great conversation. I could sit here with you for hours, but <laughs> I know you're, you're playing hurt right now. And we really appreciate the time you being sick and still coming on the show and everything. So Clark, thank you so much. Uh, we're huge fans at 49 of you at 49ers web zone. And we really appreciated the time. Well, I'm huge fans of you guys too. And honestly, you mentioned John Lynch. I love what he's doing there. Watching them with Garoppolo was so much fun. I love to see this team picking itself up and going forward because the best years of my career were spent in the Bay Area covering the 49ers. I loved watching that team. I loved interacting with the fans. Um, it was honestly the best of the best of the best. And um, I, can't, I can't thank you enough for calling me, and I can't thank the 49ers enough for surrounding me with players and media fans who, honestly, I, I adore while I was out there. I miss it very much. We'll have to have you back, and you can tell us some stories about the good old days. That would be great. You got it. You got All it. Right. Yeah. All right, Clark. Thanks so much for the time. Thank you. Take care. Thanks again to Clark Judge for joining us and for that great conversation about the Hall of Fame. I'll tell you what, I could have talked to him for hours. That stuff is fascinating to me, and, and he did a great job. We definitely have to have him on again, maybe next year when the new Hall of Fame class goes in. Okay. Shifting gears, as I mentioned, Zane is not here, but listen, we when our starting quarterback is out, we have a hell of a backup, and I want to bring in none other than our buddy, Kevin Jones. Kevin, what's up, man? Al, man, uh, great to meet you over the phone. We chatted for like five minutes before this. I think uh, we've got a pretty big topic to discuss. Yeah, I'd, I'd say, I'd say. Kevin and I, we, we were talking off air, and it's funny, you know, you hear a lot of us writers on Twitter, and we go back and forth, but this is the first time Kevin and I have ever really spoken. You know, we know each other in kind of that creepy social media kind of way. Um, <laughs> this is the first time we've ever actually gotten to talk Niners, so I'm really excited about it. And obviously, Kevin, the big news is the five-year 
$137.5 million deal that Jimmy Garoppolo signs to be the 49ers franchise QB. The deal averages $27.5 million per year, and it, it looks like it's going to be front-loaded with upwards of you know, $90 million in the first three years. And this made too much sense to not happen. Garoppolo and Shanahan are a perfect fit. This became Jimmy's team really quickly. And it was obvious for everyone involved that this marriage had to continue. And there was a lot of speculation that Garoppolo would let San Francisco franchise him and, and then kind of see how the market played out. Hell, I even wrote an article, you know, and I kind of predicted that's how it would play out. But in the end, it appeared that both sides really saw the importance of getting this thing done. Because now the situation stabilized and the Niners center the offseason ready to build around Garoppolo and they can start putting pieces in place for what I think is a team that's ready to win now, don't you think? You made a ton of good points. My first reaction to all this is when Kyle Shannon was hired, he didn't ask for final say over the roster. He wanted everything to be with John Lynch. And now that Jimmy G's here and the contract negotiation went so smoothly and it wasn't, I'm trying to do this to you, like it wasn't a back and forth. It's everyone's rolling the boat in the same direction. They're really identified the three things you need, a head coach, a GM, and now the quarterback. They're so lucky it happened this quickly. Like 20 teams around the league would be desperate to have Jimmy Garoppolo right now. He's trending upwards, obviously. He's got still a lot to prove, but the film shows that I'm getting annoyed out. People are saying seven touchdowns, five interceptions. Are they serious? Pull up the film, and you're seeing a top five to ten quarterback down in and down out with no talent around him. So that was the thing. This is a perfect storm of circumstances because I don't think he could have done this without Kyle Shanahan as the head coach, without uh, you know them just giving him a little bit of the game plan. The plan has come together perfectly, Al, and it's you're a Niners fan. This is a memorable day. This could be the start of a lot of things. Yeah, it's funny when people nitpick, and I saw somebody put his stats up against Colin Kaepernick's for six games, which is utterly ridiculous. Because, like if you said, if you put on the tape, what Garoppolo did is is amazing. He took a team that couldn't break ten points. And he's going up and down the field. I think it was 62% of their drives they scored on. It's something, something ridiculous like that. And it was him. And like you said, it's, it's the perfect marriage with Kyle Shanahan because Kyle is a play caller. We know he's one of the best play callers in the league. And now he has his quarterback. And to watch how this is going to progress, you know, they're both signed for the next five years. But obviously, Niners fans are hoping this is going to be a 10, 15 year thing. And I think as long as you have a quarterback like him under center, this is a playoff team. You got to think of your Aaron Rodgers, your Drew Brees, those type of elite quarterbacks. When those guys are under center, you go into the year thinking we have a shot at the playoffs because we have this guy. And shouldn't the Niners feel the same way with Garoppolo right now? Yeah. And next year they might miss the playoffs and there's going to be expectations. And I think in training camp, Kyle will come out and say, we want to win the NFC West. We think we can compete with the Rams, Seahawks, Cardinals. We're at that level now. They're not going to be able to shy away from expectations now that they have a quarterback who's come in and went 5-0, and beat three playoff teams. I mean, they killed the Jaguars. That game was not mm-hmm. close. The score was close to the end, but they – I mean, Jimmy G was the best player on the field. Look at how many good players Jacksonville has. So I think they could stumble a little bit next year. You see sophomore slumps from time to time. It wouldn't be the end of the world. Just – I've been harping this point so much, too. If they franchise tagged him and he did struggle and then there was a bitter negotiation, then all of a sudden you don't have Kumbaya in the building and there's tension with Jimmy G like how there's been with Cousins. So don't repeat others' mistakes. Learn from the Redskins. Learn from that. And that's what they did with this contract. It won't look that ridiculous five years from now either. I think you're going to have a lot of extensions be right around this type of money. 
And one thing that's amazing to me is when you look at the players, when you look at coaches around the league, when you look at analysts, I mean, there's been a little bit, like I said, a little bit of nitpicking here and there, but mostly everybody thinks this guy is the real deal. Everybody says the Niners did the right thing because they watch this guy in practice. They watch what he does on and off the field. You know, they look at his film and, and people I've even talked to not only on air on the show, but off air, they've all said the same thing. This guy is the real deal. Like this guy looks like he's going to be an elite quarterback. And when you have somebody who's in, listen, Garoppolo's turning into a superstar. I mean, he's, he's definitely in the, the national eye right now. And to have everybody sort of pulling the same in the same direction, saying he's going to be that good, it's an exciting thing. It is. And I want to just say, I've covered RG3. I've covered Johnny Manziel. Kaepernick was kind of a flash in the pan too. So we can overreact, but it, it's not that. This is a pocket passing quarterback who's been taught by Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, and he absorbed the information. Um, he's, he should have been a higher draft pick. This isn't one of those situations where all of a sudden he's going to drop off and we're like, what happened to Jimmy G? There's going to be a 30 for 30 on him five years from now. Wow. He, this guy isn't good. Um, could, could he struggle a little bit and throw picks and, you know, they lose a couple seasons in the playoffs cause he's got to have some growing pains and he's going to go up against some elite guys. Yeah. So nothing is ever a hundred percent in the NFL. There's no 100% bet. He, he could tear his ACL, you know what I mean? So we, we can't project in the future that far, but I will say he could win an MVP trophy in a couple of years. Like that's not out of the question. Oh, yeah. nope. And, nope. and you, have, you, have, you have other quarterbacks getting up there in age. Like he's, he's just young. Matt Ryan's like 33. Like you have some of these guys who you think are kind of young are getting to the tail end of their career. So the Niners got amazingly lucky, but they've capitalized on the situation and they've built a foundation. They have a foundation in place. They just got to surround this core with talent. Now, Obviously, Kevin, in the Super Bowl, we saw what a coaching staff can do for, for an offense with Doug Peterson and Frank Reich in the, in the game plan they put together. And look, I don't think Nick Foles was as bad as he played with the Rams. And, and he had some decent years with Philly, you know, in his first stint there. But they made him look like a Hall of Fame quarterback in, in that game. And a lot of that I thought was coaching and scheme. I, I really did. I mean, all credit to Nick Foles. He was fantastic. He threw some dimes out there. But I, I thought a lot of it was the coaching and the play calling. And you've covered Kyle Shanahan. You, you've been around Kyle, Kyle Shanahan at a couple stops now. What, what difference does he bring? Having him as the coach, having him call in the plays, what do you think he's going to bring to the 49ers, especially now with a quarterback like Garoppolo? I don't even know. Like, the sky is the limit. I don't think he's ever had a quarterback this talented with arm talent. Matt Ryan is close i think but if jimmy garoppolo did what he did in those five games over the course of a 16 game season and your defense is playing well i mean you have a chance to have home field advantage in the playoffs you could go 12 and 4 everything's got to go your way you got to get every balance which they were at the end of that season and they were due bounces let's think this team went on a nine game losing streak but yeah kyle can hit the right buttons he knows tendencies he knows defensive coordinators around the league how they think how he can get them to trip up um he he knows how to get inside of a defender's head and make things like a gray area where they can't define where to defend on the field um he's innovative he's been coming up with concepts uniquely all the time and he's still just 37 i mean this feels like a dream for the 49ers they mm -hmm. walk into an ideal scenario that most franchises around the league would trade for these three kyle jimmy g and john lynch
And it's exciting too because I think Garoppolo is in that that next crop of superstars. And and I made the point on our last show. And listen, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, these are Hall of Fame. These are amazing players. But I kind of feel like the NFL is getting to a point where they need that next wave. You know, I really thought this was a flat season, and I'm interested to see what you what you think of that. But you know, I thought the Super Bowl matchup. I mean, it was an amazing Super Bowl, but originally I thought it was a flat matchup. I think the NFL is starving for guys like Deshaun Watson, Carson Wentz, Andrew Luck to get healthy, and now Garoppolo. And I mean, Aaron Rodgers will still be there. Do you do you think the league really needs that next wave of quarterbacks to step up? They do, but they also had 37 of the top 50 television shows this year were NFL games, so. The product, week to week, every year, sometimes it sucks. Like, it really does. Because of fantasy football, because of the red zone, how we absorb information on Twitter so quickly, if there's lulls in a game or a couple weeks where the product's bad, we freak out. I think the NFL is still king. NBA's become king of the offseason and king of the trade deadline. Like, NBA Twitter loves moves more than the actual game because we know it's going to be warriors Cavs. NFL, you have a chance. The Eagles won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. Who thought that was possible in November? That sentence was utterly laughable, and it happened. So football will remain king because cities and fans and players and teams will believe they can win a championship game way more than other sports. You have a chance at football. Like you said, if you have Doug Peterson, the right coaching, sign the right free agents, all of a sudden you can be in a Super Bowl, especially in the NFC when you don't have to go against Tom Brady. All right, with free agency around the corner, I wanted to, to throw some names out at you, and I, I want to know some people that you're interested for the Niners to get to. And listen, this team is still rebuilding to an, to an extent, and, and you constantly have to build for the future. But I would like to see them make some win-now moves because I, I think they're ready to win now. I really do. Um, in one of the positions I don't think they have any need at at all is tight end. I think George Kittle had a, had a really good year. Um, Garrett Selk's pretty good backup, and they're both signed for the next couple of years. You have Cole Hikatini who's, who's developing. But a guy who's really interesting to me because I don't think the market for him is going to be huge, and I think that they could maybe get him cheaper. And if they can do it on a one- or two-year deal, Jimmy Graham, to me, would be amazing on this team. And the reason I say that is even with how good Garoppolo was when he came in and they went up and down the field, they still struggled in the red zone. And they really don't have that that guy, that go-to guy in the red zone. And while Graham, I don't think, is anywhere near what he was, he's still a major red zone threat. And listen, if you have a guy like that, that can be the difference between an eight and eight and a ten and six season. You know, a couple scores in a game. Do you think? Do you think I'm crazy? I mean, is that a crazy thought, or or do you think Graham could be a fit here? No, it's not a crazy thought at all. And I've seen Kyle operate with Jordan Cameron in Cleveland, and he was banged up a ton with concussions that year, but. He used Jordan Cameron as a deep threat. They were throwing 40, 50-yard bombs to Jordan Cameron all the time, which completely opened up the defense for Hawkins and other people underneath for quick firing passes. So if Kyle sees a chess piece that he can spread the field and make differently, which Jimmy Graham, of course, he could find a role for Jimmy Graham. Um, I think Jimmy Graham will have a market. I think there'll be a dumb team that gets desperate that's like we we need to make a splash the dolphins always spend in free agency the buccaneers like you don't want to spend dumb money on jimmy graham but if you can get a two-year deal that you're comfortable with um i suggested a trade for jordan reed if the redskins want to move on they seem to be willing to get rid of good players all the time might as well ask about jordan reed. <laughs> kyle, <laughs> kyle drafted him he had a season with kirk cousins where he had 85 catches for like 1100 yards and 10 touchdowns Jimmy G would make Jordan Reed a superstar. The red zone woes would go away. You would ha- you could line him up anywhere. He can play slot receiver. So 
Um, tight end, I'm with you. I like Kittle as the number two. Picatini as the three. Kyle normally keeps four tight ends and another blocker, and he'll just rotate them. Um, but, yeah, I'd like to see them. I wouldn't mind that free agent piece on offense. If you're not, I'd rather have like a tight end, Al, than Jarvis Landry or Sammy Watkins, a receiver that you're just not sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because receivers, not, they're not in awful shape next year. They, they need more of a long-term plan. But listen, Garcon, can, the guy can play. Goodwin came around big time at the end of last year, and Taylor's developing. And yeah, I think you got to add some depth there. But those three guys, I think they can win with those three guys. And if you add somebody like Graham, it's really not as bad as it's perceived, I don't think. Yeah, I remember hanging out with Kyle one year at the Combine, just you know, off the record. And he was saying he doesn't care about height, really, for receivers at all. And he's, besides Julio, he's never really had a star receiver. Actually, Andre Johnson was, but with the Redskins, he had mm-hmm. Santana Moss. Like, he was not working with much there when RG3 was really going off. Even Rex Grossman was moving the ball. So I'd be stunned if they picked a receiver round one. Because Kyle understands the importance of having an edge rusher pieces on defense because he goes against defense all the time. He knows that we need to have these pieces to stop offenses. I think Kyle's going to be cool drafting defense round one. What are the Niners going to do at running back, Kevin? Because I, I don't think Carlos Hyde's going to come back. Um, I feel like Brita and and Joe Williams would. There's not enough experience there. So who do you, Isaiah Crowell? Do they bring in a guy like that? Where where do you see that going? Yeah, I would do Crowell or Alfred Morris on like a one or two year deal, similar to a Jimmy Graham type of thing. Where hey, we'll overpay you a little bit. Come here. You they both have track records with Kyle Crowell is explosive. He can hit the edge really fast, and that stretch play becomes very valuable. And he's a finisher in the red zone. Crowell, I think he had eight touchdowns his rookie year with Kyle. Like Kyle was calling him red zone all the time, and, and it was working. So hmm. Crowell would make most sense. Alfred Morris, I mean, dude had like 1,600 yards when Kyle schemed up the blocking right. Um, it's a different type of quarterback, but Alfred Morris is one of the best read option running backs out there. He's really good at that. Um, so I'm good with either of those two to replace Carlos Hyde. Similar to Eric Reed, I just think they're bulky guys. They're definitely decent football players who will find a nice home, but just Kyle prefers a different skill set, um, and so does Robert Sala, I think. All right, the three big position groups I, I, I think everybody's thinking about as free agency comes is it's the interior of the offensive line, edge pass rusher, and cornerback. If you have a prediction... How is this going to play out? What do you what do you think they're going to do free agency wise at those positions? That's so tough. I mean, I don't think Ziggy Ansa is the ideal fit where you're going to say he's going to change this defense. But to me, Solomon Thomas is an inside player. He's not. Oh, I your, agree, hundred percent. Yeah, you know, he's he's not. You need an explosive end, and I just wouldn't call Solomon Thomas explosive. He's he's solid. He's like got great fundamentals. He's like he's got a high motor and everything, but Ansa, it could be a bust, but I think it's worth it because then your D line is complete. And until you really move Solomon Thomas inside, I think if you keep moving him back and forth, that's not good for his development. Like let him focus on one thing, let him get good at really one thing and let someone else sack the quarterback. Thomas is not your sack master. If they really thought that he was going to be a sack master, they are not judging D line like they should. So um, I think, Pass rusher is is number one need there. If you slide Jimmy Ward down the corner, you're feeling better about that. But I would definitely sign a corner. It doesn't have to be an elite guy. Malcolm Butler, people are getting hyped up because he's a big name and he's made plays in the Super Bowl and he's 
His name has been big at certain times. He's had two terrible seasons. He was not good this year or 2015. So um, Pierre Garçon's stunting for him on Twitter, though, was huge. Like, Pierre wouldn't stunt for anyone. He must think he's good, and I trust what yeah. Pierre thinks. So I'm torn on that. But, yeah, so I'd say you've got to get an edge rusher, and you've got to get a corner. I differ with the O-line, Al. I've, I've gone back and forth with people on Twitter about this. I didn't think it was that bad, and I don't think that they're going to draft it. Definitely not in the first round. I'd be stunned. And it could be like low-level guys you haven't really heard of, like Brandon Fusco when he came in last mm-hmm. year. Kyle has a certain type that he likes on film. He doesn't care about your name. He had like a ragtag O-line essentially in, with the Redskins and really made it work. So I, I could see some under-the-radar O-line signings and then a really solid pass rusher and then, you know, like a decent corner. Isn't Joshua Garnett still a huge wild card here? Because obviously he was hurt this year, didn't get on the field, and he struggled in his rookie year. And, and I know he's probably more of a power guy, but people are so quick to judge. And offensive line and, and Solomon Thomas on the defensive line, those positions take time. If they like Garnett, couldn't he be a guy that can maybe come in and, and you plug him in at one of the guard spots? Well, this is what's crazy because Garnett could have came back in October, but they were literally like, you need to transform your body if you want to be able to be effective in this offense. The offensive lineman and Kyle's team, they run more than any other O-line. They're 10 yards up the field all the time. It's, it's not about brute strength really at all. It's all about conditioning. He likes guards to weigh around 300 pounds, you know, 310. Uh, the 330 guys are not his type. At, at tackle, he can work with it. But I mean, he said, Trent Brown, I've never had a player like this before because he doesn't normally like those monster types. So mm-hmm. um, if Garnett is quick now and less of the power guy, yeah. And I think the 49ers should definitely keep him too. They shouldn't trade him yet. Like, try him out. Let's get him on right. the field because I, I do think he has some talent, but um, it, it wouldn't surprise me if he was off the team two years from now if he does if it doesn't work out next year then he's he's definitely on the hot seat and that's another stanford player um david shaw he's got a great program there but some of their players in the league are not panning out yeah it almost felt like this was a a red shirt year for garnett like they just kind of said like you said get get your body right we'll see what you can do but i agree I, I would not be surprised if he's not on the team in two years i probably wouldn't be surprised if he's starting in two years you know he he, he could really go sure. either way you know, so yeah, all right, a couple names, a couple names I want to throw out, throw out at you here, just in, in terms of vets, just because, you know, we're both active on Twitter and we, we've been seeing these names all over the place. So let's, <laughs> let's just, I just want to see what, what you think of these guys. Akib Tlaib, if he gets cut, you think he's worth an eight, worth it for the Niners? He's got a loud mouth. And if you start losing, um, it, it's risky. I'd rather, I mean, I like, Kyle Fuller a lot. It seems like he's like fits their more type of mold of a player, especially Ruben Foster's up in question. Like he's, if he puffs weed again one time and has a positive test, you're talking a Josh Gordon situation. So right, I mean, you gotta problem. have got, you know what I mean? Like they need solid younger players. I wouldn't hate a to leave, but I'd be like surprised if it was like a, a signing that really panned out well. Yeah, he might be one of those like maybe like one or two year stopgap guys. But I, I, the only way I'd see them going after him is obviously obviously Lynch has a good relationship with John Elway. So maybe if Elway said something to him, you know what, you know the guy's misunderstood, you know that type of thing. And Adam Peters too. Adam, Adam Peters, Peters yeah, great point. Yeah, Adam Peters has been in New England and Denver. That's a very valuable thing. I was surprised that no one even interviewed him for one of these GM jobs. You saw Martin Mayhew 
Um, if the 49ers have another great draft class, you're going to probably end up losing Adam Peters at some point. Yeah, he's gone. I agree. He, if if they do this offseason what they did last, last offseason, I think I think Peters is is going to get a job somewhere definitely. Good for him. All right. What one more one more big name I want to throw out at you here, and that's um, Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, I'm in on him. If it's oh, if you it's are in on right. him. Oh, I am. I'm I'm a hundred percent in on him. I don't I don't even can't even imagine things Kyle's going to do with him. The play action fake. Do you understand why Pittsburgh is so good at throwing the ball deep? Because they have to prepare for Le'Veon Bell, and they they're thinking about Le'Veon Bell all the time. Big Ben has the right arm. Jimmy G actually has to prove that he has not completed a very deep pass. He's had some like yeah, really yeah. nice ones on the sideline to use check and like, but that's the one thing they haven't shown off with him yet. So, um, Le'Veon Bell, if it's a two or three year deal, I, and Kyle wants him, this would obviously hinge on Kyle. If Kyle wants him, then you're good. If like the 49ers get him, everyone should be so excited. Kyle will be like, it's so worth it. Look where the league's trending. Look at Sean McVay and Todd Gurley. We have someone who could go for 1,400 yards rushing and 800 receiving. Le'Veon Bell led the league in first downs, Al. I mean, he's, you move the chains with him. You literally can win games with him. This is what scares me about him a couple of things. First thing is the attitude issues because he doesn't show up for that walkthrough where he showed up later or whatever to the playoff game. That right there, you're just like, come on, man. Where's your head at? And he's had some suspensions for substance abuse too. So again, he's another one. Gets caught again. That scares me. The other thing that scares me about him is he's coming off this season. He touched the ball 431 times this season with the playoffs. That's that's a lot of touches. And we talked, well, it was talked about with Garoppolo where they're paying him for what he's going to do. I feel like with Bell, it's almost like you're paying him for what he did. And, and anything with the running back worries me. He's on that, you know, I think he's going to be 26. So he's not really old. He might have a year or two left. I guess, like you said, if it's a short-term deal, I, I, I'd be for it. I just kind of feel like with Kyle, can't, doesn't he find running backs kind of anywhere? You know, do you, do you want to spend your money on, on running back when, when there's the need at corner, the need at edge, that sort of thing? No, I mean, it would be stunning. It would be very shocking if that happened. But if it did happen and I was a Niners fan, I would be like, holy crap, I'm doing cartwheels outside right now because Kyle – would not spend on a running back unless he had some crazy plan for him. So I bet Kyle watched film on him. I bet John Lynch watched film on him and they have to prepare in case this guy becomes available and there's a falling out with the Steelers. Hey, we got to act quick. If we paired Le'Veon Bell with Jimmy G and got some other pieces on defense, let's, let's make this run next year. Let's, let's get our game on. So Le'Veon Bell, I think will go somewhere. Actually, no. I think I'll, he'll stay in Pittsburgh. But if he does leave and go somewhere, I think he'll have success. And I think that team will have success. Running backs, their back end in the NFL. This this trend is real. Wow. Wow. So do you think first round, would you consider a Saquon Barkley if he's there for the Niners? Oh, 100%. If he, yeah. if he lasted that long, I think it would be like another Reuben Foster thing. Like, how did this guy last this long? Like, people are overthinking it here. You can get him the ball anywhere. He can be huge and like for special teams just starting out early in his career and making big plays um yeah i mean if denzel ward was there too i would probably choose corner over him but Mm. you gotta score points in this league if you like look at the patriots and rob gronkowski there are certain guys antonio brown i mean you, you can find them in later rounds but if you identify a guy ultimately it doesn't matter what round you get him if you think this guy is going to be the skill player to have you winning in the playoffs, you take them wherever, you know what I mean? If it has to be round one, Kyle had that quote too. Like they, they thought about drafting Leonard Fournette. They had to. 
All right, Kevin, we really appreciate you stepping in here for Zane. And I know you have your own podcast. Why don't you tell everybody where they can check that out? Yeah, just the Kevin Jones podcast um, it's on my Twitter feed, and you can type it in iTunes. This is a great fan base, man. I moved out here two years ago, just started talking about the team when Chip Kelly was hired, and, you know, can't even fathom this turnaround. I've covered the Cleveland Browns. They were 7-9 and nine the year I covered them. So I've seen some, like, ups and downs in this league, but this is, like, from 180 to 360 so quickly. I can't believe this. Yeah, I've never seen anything like it. The, from 0-9 to, I mean, just looking horrible, like you're, you're thinking, where are they going to find this win to, I think they were in the top 10 Super Bowl odds. It, just an, an absolute, <laughs> You know, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. do that. Seriously, right? And, and that's why you pay that one player $137 million, I guess, so. Must be nice. We're not. Dude, I'm just that. trying to make one million before I die. Like that's like a goal of mine, and it, I'm not going to be able to get that. 137. Can you imagine that? It's insane. Yeah, we, we we bring nothing to society, Kevin. We just we offer nothing. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, dude, this was great, man. We definitely got to have you back, whether it's as a guest or a guest host or whatever it is. Great conversation. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Al. Thanks, guys. All right. For Kevin Jones, this is Al Sacco. Thanks, everybody. Zane will be back next show, and we will talk to you soon.